Y'all good? Um, Thanksgiving, was it good? You have a good one? Really? That was it. One person was like, thank you. One person was like, yeah. Everyone else was like, what? It's time to wake up. Yeah, it's time to wake up. So um, glad you're here. Glad you made it tonight. Uh, I know that this time, like I was telling um, some of the students on the leadership team, like if you are feeling the way I'm feeling, then you are ready for this semester to be done and you're ready for Christmas break and you're ready to like chill out. Um, And then this weather is weird and so it just makes you feel weird. It doesn't feel like Christmas. Am I right? You feel that way? Yes, no? Yes? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, I'm just going to assume your silence means that I'm speaking truth. Ah, so guess what? We have two weeks of... We have two weeks of Exodus, this week and next week, and then we're going to kind of wrap up the first um, part of this Exodus series, and and if we go back there, it'll be a while, but just know that this week and next week, I had a couple people like, we're still in Exodus? I'm like, yeah, man, all right, just a couple couple more weeks. There's some really cool things in these last couple of chapters. I wore my all-in shirt today because I really wanted to remind you, um, some of you back in March or April... You made a commitment. You made a commitment before the Lord that you would be all in on all that God was doing in this place. And and we are talking specifically about the building that is going to go up out here. They're going to start laying a foundation and walls and all that start in January. And so they've already flattened it and smoothed it, put down the proper foundation like sand-wise. But you, some of you made a commitment. You made a commitment to do um, one or all of three things. Uh, one was being praying for uh, this building and the process and River Oak um, impact in this community. Two uh, was uh, serving, that you decided, that, hey, I want to serve. I'm going to commit to serve these many hours to serve the church, to serve in different places. Which, by the way, if you did that and you have hours, you're like, man, I want to serve. We are serving. You heard in the announcements, not this coming Saturday, but the next Saturday at, at Willow something. Um, I always want to say Willow Creek, but it's not. It's Willow whatever. Uh, retirement home right by Oscar Smith. And so from 10 to 12, really cool time hanging out. Uh, it's people largely that don't get to see their family for Christmas. And so we get just to, we kind of get to go be their adopted grandchildren for a couple hours and just like let them really love on us, uh, eat some cookies with them, hang out. And so I just encourage you, make plans for that. Make plans for that two Saturdays, 10 to 12. We'll meet here and we'll carpool over there. Anyway, you said serving or you said that you would even give financially to what we're doing over there. And some of you, uh, like, I, I know what you're thinking now. You're like, yeah, I remember. I put, like, I was going to pray for, like, 30 hours, and I prayed for, like, 30 seconds since then. Um, I've got a lot of time. And we said we'd do it by the end of this year. And so if you're that far behind, one, I want to encourage you, don't let the deadline be um, the deadline, like, be you giving up on your commitment. Um, two... Uh, if you did make a commitment, don't be a person who breaks your commitment, especially before the Lord, that you'd be a person who follows through regardless of deadlines, that you would say, hey, I'm, I, I forgot, I, I have not remembered that I'm going to find time to serve, to come early, to help set up, to go to these Rock the City service projects, um, to be, stay after on Sunday to help clear chairs, whatever, like, I'm going to find time to serve. I'm going to find time to be praying for the church on a daily basis. I'm going to find uh, money that I have. I'm going to give, like I said, I would give 
Um, a good place to start with that would be 10%. That if you're getting Christmas money coming in, hey, you get 100 bucks, give 10, 10 bucks. Um, give 10 bucks to the Lord, simply saying, hey, I'm not doing this out of obligation. I'm doing this because I recognize everything you've given me uh, it comes from you. And that I can't outgive you, that I can't give myself to a point of brokenness, that you, in fact, are the one that gives me everything. And so I just encourage you in that. That if you said, hey, I'm going all in, even if you picked up a shirt and you're like, yes, I don't even want to wear it out, that you would follow through on your commitment, that you would remember what you've done. If you have money you want to drop off, um, we have a mailbox out there. We collect prayer requests. We collect papers for camps and things. Uh, you can just drop it in there. Um, drop it in there and, and we'll get it to the right people. But I just encourage you be a person who follows through on your commitments. Don't let the time like be like, no, oh, I messed it. Oh, well, I'll just do better next time. Like, no, like follow through. Complete your commitment. Cool? All right, so we're continuing in Exodus. <clears throat> um, we've been talking about, uh, just to catch you up, if you slept since the last time or if you're asleep now, I'm going to tell you wake up. But if you slept since the last time uh, we met for the harbor um, or you haven't been here in a while, we've been walking through this book of Exodus. And what Exodus is, is the second book in a five-book series. It's like if you went to uh, Netflix and you found your favorite show that was going to be your favorite show, a show you've never seen before, and you go to season one, but instead of clicking season one, episode one, you go to like season three and click episode five and start there. That would be the equivalent to starting in the book of Exodus to understand all that's going on, is that it is the second book in a five-book series. Okay, so it's the second book in a five-book series. So to properly understand what's happening in Exodus, you should definitely go back and study Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And then you got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've got the five where it's all about God establishing his people. Now, here's the thing about God's people. You need to understand this, is that God had a chosen people, not because he said, I want y'all to be special and I'm just going to love you dearly. No, he said, I'm choosing you to exemplify me to the rest of the world, that you would be the people I would show my grace and my mercy to and my forgiveness so people would know who I am through my treatment of you and through my work in you. So he chose these people and he had this story of Exodus, and, and it's true, and it really happened. And what happened in Exodus was, was God established Israel, the Israelites, Israel today, and they were in slavery in Egypt. God told Egyptians, let the people go. They said, no, God performed 10 plagues, doing miraculous things through Moses, and then they still said, no, the 10th plague, saying, hey, firstborn of every person and a firstborn of every family in Egypt will die if you do not release my firstborn, the Israelites. They obviously said no. Firstborn in every one of the Egyptian families died. And a couple weeks ago we took communion where we, we talked about commemorating and remembering all God's done for us. And then now we're picking up today where people are, are released from Egypt and they're on this journey on this journey and what is happening is up until this point God has been revealing himself to the people kind of flexing in front of Egypt um, and, and now he's beginning to shape his people that God in his relationship with you I want you to understand wants to do more than you just know about him he wants to shape you he has plans for you and they're good plans I'm going to pray for us real quick. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for all that you've done. Um, 
in us to this point, God, the work that you're doing in our hearts and our minds. Some of us, Lord, have gone, uh, drawn um, calloused. Lord, our hearts are hardened to your word. I ask that you would soften them tonight, that you would, if we don't usually pay attention, we don't usually focus, God, that you, uh, Lord, would tune us into your word and, and what, who you say we are and who you say you are. God, that you would use, um, you would use me to speak your truth. God, that I wouldn't speak anymore, but I would speak exactly that. Um, and Lord, that you would be at work in this. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address real quick an awkward situation that most of us are in most of the time. It's caused by our Instagram and our Snapchat. How many, how many of you follow people on Instagram and Snapchat that you actually never talk to? But yet, I see your hands, but yet you know like who they are. They're not someone famous. They are people, maybe even in this room, super weird, right? That you follow and you know about, but yet when you come to the same place at school, in this room, you never talk to one another. You know what they had for dinner last night, but yet... Y'all have never exchanged words. You know their cousin got married two weekends ago. You know where they went for Thanksgiving. You know the food that they loved and that they hated. You know the Black Friday deals that they received. You know what sport they play. You know a lot about their family and their pets and their relationships and yet, you have never talked to each other. You know a lot about them. Guys, that's creepy, okay? I'm just gonna throw it out there. You didn't know, you didn't think I was going that way, but that is creepy, right? Don't be creepy, okay? I'm, I'm just going to throw it out. For some of you, I know it's your culture. I know it's like kind of the way that your generation is like connecting, but it's weird. It's freaking weird. Like I'm telling you, it's awkward because it's awkward for you and you know it. If you've ever been trapped in that elevator with the person you walk in, they walk in and you're like, ooh, or going up the stairs at the same time, you're like, I follow them. I follow them. I know about them. Oh, I know where they got those shoes. Uh-oh, we don't talk, right? And it just gets weird. And you're like, do I act like I know him? Do I act like I don't know him? That is not the relationship we're meant to have with each other, first off. Second of all, a lot of us come to church, we hear a lot of good knowledge we're going somewhere. We hear a lot of good knowledge. We know a lot about God, but yet we don't have a true relationship with him. That we've treated church, we've been treating church like a hobby. Where it's something I go to, and it's something I kind of do, but I'm not, it's not something that I'm truly involved in. Like, my relationship with God is not involving. It does not really call a lot from me. 
If that is you, where you're like, man, no, the relationship with God actually hadn't called me to give up anything or do anything or, or really called anything from me, then you need to know you are simply following God. You are not really on mission with him. You have not really seen your purpose in the bigger plan, God's plan. Not the song. That's the only clean part of that song. The rest of it's bad. I know it. That some of you are in here and you're in that place that your relationship with God is not involved. It's just been this thing that you know a lot about him, but yet you don't talk, you don't communicate. You don't like you're not being shaped and and what we see here is as God has called his people out that he calls us out that this story is not just a story it's our story and I don't mean like our story of like America's story no I mean like our story individually spiritually that a lot of times what we're going to see and what we've been seeing through Israel is that their story is our story and he'll draw us out so that he may draw us in. But some of you are being very resistant to that. That you continue to come, which, which I love, but, but you're not truly diving into a relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> what he tells them as soon as they get out into the desert <clears throat> is, is in Exodus 13, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses, and this is what he tells him. He says, my people, you're free, you're out. <clears throat> he says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from the, every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal. It is mine. It is mine. He says, I want you to consecrate <clears throat> That's a big word. Like, you should find a way to use that in a sense this week. People would be impressed. <clears throat> Are any of you, I'm going to kind of explain what it means. Are any of you firstborn sons in your family? Like, you're not daughters. I saw a girl like, I am, oh, sons. Anybody firstborn sons in here? Like, you're like, I am the firstborn son. Sweet. Well, traditionally, if you're the firstborn son, that means that all the inheritance from your family comes to you. But it also means all the authority of your family comes to you. It's like one of those old school movies where the dad's about to leave for, like, war or, like, to go, like, herd the cattle or whatever. And he turns around to his like eight-year-old son. He's like, son, you're the man of the house now, right? And it's like, and they're like, dude, that kid's eight. What do you mean he's the man of the house? You should be talking to the mom. Be like, take care of that kid, right? Like, but what that's what he's talking about. It's like traditionally that the firstborn son was the second in authority if the father was to die or to leave. That the firstborn son was the one that would receive all the things from the house. It wasn't just like, yeah, I get all this stuff. It was like, no, no, you're now in charge of taking care of everything. And the authority and the direction of the house falls on you. And so this idea, I want you to hear this, that the first thing God tells Israel, he says, I want you to consecrate the firstborn son. This word consecrate means, and here it is defined, it means taking what is ordinary and setting it aside for an exclusively holy purpose. He says, I want you to consecrate every firstborn male. I want you to take them ex aside and, 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 and hold them exclusively and dedicate them for an exclusively holy purpose. He's saying, 
I want all the wealth of the family. I want all the name of the family. I want all the position of the family to belong to me. That Israel, I've revealed myself to you. But now it's time for you to understand that you are mine. That you are mine. And remember what I said is that their story is our story. That their story is our story. And God tells Israel, he says, the firstborn son should be consecrated, should be set aside for an exclusively holy purpose. Well, if you turn to Romans 8, 16 and 17, it says this. This is Paul writing. And if you ever want to like memorize some scripture, go to Romans 8. Start memorizing Romans 8. It'll change your life. And I mean that, really, it'll change your life. Romans 8, it says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So our spirit and the Holy Spirit come together and there is no clash or division, but instead they testify together that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs, keyword, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. He says, if you have given your life to Christ, Christ, if Jesus owns you, if you say, man, I want my new life to be in Christ and, and I have given him and I'm trusting him with my life and each step I'm saying, God, you are the Lord of my life. Lead me. He says, man, and not, not calling you to be perfect, but calling you to, to, to strive to head that direction. He says, you are now co-heirs, that you are now joint heirs with Jesus. You are now considered in God's house the firstborn child. You are heirs as well with Jesus, that you're co-heirs. He says, so being co-heirs, being the firstborn means that through Jesus we also have been consecrated. I don't know if you recognize that. That you have been set aside for an exclusively holy purpose. If someone would have told me that in high school, I would have, and, and I would have believed it and trusted it, it would have revolutionized my life. It would have changed the trajectory of my life because I was doing a lot of stupid stuff. But yet God has said, no, 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 stop that. I have set you aside for an exclusively holy purpose, a purpose you can't achieve on your own, a purpose much better than the purpose you could achieve by yourself, a a purpose that is holy. He says, through Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, you have been consecrated. We are consecrated people. And this is what he tells the consecrated people. He tells them, and then Moses said to the people, this is verse three, the very next verse, he says, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of this place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. That nothing leavened may be eaten. See, the thing about our consecration, the thing about us is to simplify that, it simply means through Jesus we now belong to the Lord. That everything in us belongs to him, everything about us belongs to him, that we belong to him. Our status, our priorities, our life is in his hands, that we belong 
to him. Yet every part of us, every part of us, and every part of this world wants to say, no, we belong to me. That I belong to me. Which means I get to do things my way. Which means someone offends me, I will offend them back. When someone irritates me, I will retaliate. When someone wrongs me, that I can wrong them. That when someone is, 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 is like hitting my fleshly desires, that I can give in to that if, if it feels good enough. That, man, if there's a party that I can go, like the world wants to say, no, you belong to you, so do what's best for you. And God says, no, no, you're consecrated, and here's what you need to do is remember. He says, remember. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the day, if, you, if you're in here, if you're not a believer, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you're like, nah, I don't, I'm just still trying to figure this out, then you can chill for a minute. But if you are in here, then I need you to hear this. I want you just to think about that day. That day that you came to know Jesus. That day that you placed your faith in him. The moment that it clicked for you. The moment that it clicked for you. He says, remember this day. For them, they were rescued out of Egypt. For all of us, we were rescued out of a place of slavery. A place where death had a stronghold on us. A place where our own efforts made a difference in our value. A place where we had to fend for ourselves. That he rescued us out. And he says, remember this day. Remember this day. When the world wants to tell you, no, you belong to you. He says, man, remember and be thankful that you belong to me. I rescued you by the strength of my strong hand. He says, remember. See, the key, the key is to remember that moment. That a lot of times, a lot of times when things get hard, the difference in a Christian who, who, who walks through them and a Christian who is overwhelmed by them or a person who is overwhelmed by them and a person who, who can sustain and walk through is they remember. They remember how God was at work. It says that the Israelites, it's really kind of like, you've got to read things imaginatively. I want you to hear that. You don't read this Bible with like, like you're reading a textbook because it's not a textbook. It's meant to be read in a place where you read it, not imaginatively like you're making things up, but you read it as if it was actually happening in front of you. And this is like great scripture to do that. It says the Israelites, they then began to travel and God, knowing that they were kind of sissies, he led them around the, the long way. He says, because if they see war, they'll for sure retreat. And so he leads them around the long way. And you got to know the Israelites in this moment, they just plundered the Egyptians. They have all of their gold, all of their wealth. They are living the high life. They are walking 
walking and moving. They come to the, to the sea, the Red Sea, and then they're surrounded by wilderness, the Red Sea. They're in this place. They're kind of lost. So they don't really care. They're not in slavery. They're learning how to like make like fires and cook on, on things like while they're camping because they hadn't been camping because they've been slavery for the past 400 years. And so they're figuring out this whole wilderness thing. And in the meantime, they're like trading like their thing. I'm just making this up. I have no idea. But, but you can imagine, right? It's like Halloween kids with their candy baskets at Halloween of like, bro, you like the Tootsie Rolls? Good. I like the Snickers. Like, let's make a trade. By the way, that's a terrible trade if you like Tootsie Rolls. That's disgusting. So there's this whole thing, right? They're like, man, I've got this sweet golden sword. And the other guy's like, well, I've got this vase. He's like, I think it's pronounced face, right? No, it's a vase, right? All right, you want to swap? Like, sweet, like, let's do it. And so they're like in there just relishing the good things. And then it says they looked up. See, the Egyptians were going through this period of grief. And if you know anything about deep grief, what you know is that one of the stages of grief is anger. And it does not go into this, but I can just imagine Every single family in the Egyptian land had someone die. And so they've gotten past the sadness. They've buried their dead. Now they're angry. And it says that Pharaoh looked out and he saw the Israelites and they appeared to be lost. And so he got hundreds of chariots gathered up. And he says, now we will go back and we will retrieve our slaves it says they're riding out. The Israel looks out, right, looked up. And you got to know you hear hundreds of chariots. That's going to make a rumble. And so you're thinking like, what is that? That's weird. Okay, what's that dust cloud? Oh, snap. Here comes Pharaoh, right? And so they look up and here is what they say. The Israelites were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord for help. I'm going to pause there. And I'm going to tell you this, that the fearless man can be fearless because he remembers the moments that God truly impacted. He can remember the moments where God rescued him in the deepest, darkest places. And he believes that he will do it again. Where the man who is overcome by fear sees the moments, and fails to remember. The fearless man is fearless because he remembers how God had saved him and believes he'll do it again. The man who is overcome by fear fails to remember that moment and fails to believe that God will intervene. These people were the second man. It says the Israelites were terrified. They cried out to the Lord for help. Then they said to Moses, such an interesting transition, like, Lord, help Moses. Is it because there, this is brutal. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? If you go back to, like, they're hitting like hard on Moses. Because you go back to Moses, originally he like realized like, I'm not an Egyptian, I'm a Jew. He sees two Egyptian and a Jew fighting. He kills the Egyptian. And then the next day he sees two 
two uh, Jews fighting. He goes on, he's like, guys, your brothers don't fight. And they said, what are you going to do, kill us too? And he was like, no. And so he's like, and they're basically like, leave us alone. And so he ran away. Then he comes back, the Lord calls him back. They go back all the way back to that. They say, isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. The genuineness, I want you to hear this. They prayed and then they cursed. The genuineness of their prayer was seen by their next response. That a lot of us, and me included, I will pray something, but the genuineness and the faith really delivered in that prayer is made evident by how I respond next, by what I do next. Am I still hysterical? Am I still frantic? Am I still anxious and, and, and like at a loss? Or am I at peace? Am I trusting that I just gave my deepest concerns and my deepest needs to the God who has perfect timing and, is who, and who is in complete control? That the genuineness of your prayer and of your faith is seen by your next response. Their next response was frantic. That they still were not in a place where God could use them. They were still in need of being shaped. And if you've ever been in this place like I have, then you know that we are still in the same need of being shaped. But here is what a merciful, gentle God does. This is what he said. He says, but Moses said to the people, and you gotta know that God is speaking through Moses a lot. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, but stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. You got to understand these people, they're like dressed like warriors, but truthfully, they don't know how to fight. It's like Halloween, right? They're like, I look like a freaking ninja, but like, I don't know what to do. We just look cool. And he says, don't be afraid, stand firm the Lord's salvation for he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. He says, hey guys, I'm gonna close with this. He says, hey, trust God and shut up. Like stop your whining. Like stop, like just be quiet. Just in the moment, and that, how often is that in the moments of our anxiety, in the moment of fear, we can't shut our minds off. They're screaming, our minds are screaming, like, what are we going to do? How am I going to find a resolution? What's going to happen? And God's word says, dude, trust him and be quiet. He is the God who has covered you. Remember what he's done. You are consecrated. That you have been set apart for an exclusively holy purpose. So whatever the enemy is trying to do, he cannot do. Because you are consecrated. Remember and stand firm. You are covered by the power of God. There is freedom in that in our lives. That some of you are fearful as to what would happen if you truly dove into a relationship with Jesus. Fearful of what happens 
If you lived your relationship with Jesus out at school, if you began to pray in your lunch, if you began to ask the people you see that are sad, hey, can I pray for you? If you began to love people the way you know they deserve to be loved, if you began to quit fulfilling your own needs and priorities and, and your own like wants, fleshly desires, and said, God, what do you want from me? Like you're fearful of what that would look like. You're fearful of that loss. You're selfish in that. And he's saying, stop. You're consecrated. I have something so much better for you and know that you are covered. That you are called and you are protected. So allow me to shape you. Stop just knowing about me and begin to know me.